0: One of the things I hear from small organizations over and over again, and it's a really valid question, is how do we ask for unrestricted funds? We know that organizations can be sort of good at getting grants and program funding. But pretty much across the board, I've seen organizations struggle with those unrestricted annual operating funds. And that is what we are going to talk about on the podcast today. So I know you can't wait. My name is Cindy Wagman, and I'm your host of the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical, down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small organization. You are going to change the world, and we are here to help. So I just want to dive right in because this topic is a hot one. It's my pleasure to introduce Amy Lindenberger, who is the founder of Refocused Fundraising, and she specializes in fundraising communications and legacy giving. Amy,
1: welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Cindy. I'm really glad to be here with you today. I'm so glad
0: you reached out to talk about this topic because... I actually don't think we've ever explicitly talked about it on the podcast, yet it is probably one of the most important things running through the back of people's minds as they think about fundraising. So tell me a little bit about your experience and how this came to be a passion of yours.
1: Well, it's funny because it does, like you said, it comes up all the time. It is one of those things that people struggle with And they struggle to articulate to supporters why it's important. And, you know, I think in general, we've really done a disservice to nonprofits by sort of almost training supporters to think of admin, overhead, all of the things that make our organizations run to fulfill our mission, to fulfill our vision, as a bad thing so we've sort of we've got ourselves working against us and you know a lot of things we're struggling against but I think I have sort of because I've come into everything a little bit backwards in my fundraising career I think it's really helped and mm. part of what that is is that I've approached everything starting from a place of legacy giving that's mm. where I got my start in fundraising. And so, because that's where I started, my instinct has always been in any appeals, any sort of donor communications, to really lean in to the big values and vision conversations to talk about the big why people give to the causes that they care about. Mm. And so, that work originating in my legacy giving work with organization really helped clarify the meaning behind people's connection to the cause that they weren't necessarily considering when talking about other types of giving. And so it wasn't until the pandemic hit when a lot of clients sort of had to downsize a little bit and they started looking to get some help with outside appeals. And I started doing a little bit more annual giving, but I started sort of testing some of these theories. And especially during the pandemic, funds for unrestricted funds were just at, you know, absolutely necessity because no mm-hmm. one knew what you were going to need <laughs> money for the next day, the next month. And so more than ever, that was the need. Amazing, um, And it just worked wonders. So Reaching out and talking about that, really the biggest, juiciest elements of who people are, what they believe in, and tapping into that is really what the nugget of the start of the success is. Amazing. So I want to just, for people who
0: don't have experience with planned giving, I think it's important to note, or legacy giving, that one of the reasons you so to communicate at that high level well there's two reasons one is that's what taps into the emotions but also if you're if someone's committing a bequest today and you don't get it for 20 years from now you don't know what the programs are going to look like in 20 years you don't you can't tell a donor today that your money is going to do this in 20 30 years from now we have to keep it vague exactly so, Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, like you mentioned, sort of get to know who they are and what they believe. How do you start to pull this information? It sounds like instead of like coming up with it while you sit at your desk, like dreaming away, you actually are extracting or pulling this information out of donors. So tell me if that's true. And if so, how do you do
1: that? I mean, in part, it's true, but in part, it's really about thinking, in general, I think we know, you know, any organization doing the work in the world, when we're inside that organization, and we're firefighting every day, to keep the doors open, to keep the programs running, we know the budget shortfalls, we know we need this piece of equipment. That's what we get caught up in talking about. And so we talk to donors about that a lot, we talk about our need today, our need tomorrow. Mm -hmm the issue we're having, the problem we have. And we sort of talk a lot and they start to think, you know, they love the organization, but they start to feel like they're keeping us afloat because Mm -hmm. they love us. They think about us in terms of like needing these day-to-day things, but we're not really necessarily moving the needle to the big vision of how they want the world to be better And we're the organization that they trust to deliver in the way that they want their specific ideal of how the world could be better in their local community or in terms of a healthcare issue or the environment or whatever it is that we are doing is the way that they think the world could be a better place. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I first sit back and look at when I'm working with an organization is say like what is the sphere that we are operating in here as an organization? And like, if someone's giving money to that, what are they hoping to achieve? Like not on any individual appeal. It's not about they need this new piece of equipment. It's not about that year end appeal. They need to make up X number of dollars so that they're not in the red. It's like generally is not a great ask
0: anyways,
1: right? Like definitely that's not what you want to say.
0: Generally speaking, sometimes there's emergency bills. So tell me, and I think that that's so important. And as you said, like sometimes we operate on that level day to day. So what do we need to do to get out of it and remind ourselves of that bigger vision of that longer term transformation?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because, you know, so my first step is often I'll look at an organization's mission, vision, and values. But even those are sometimes terrible. So, I would often recommend the organization take a look at those. But if they're kind of the boilerplate, like values of honesty, integrity, and teamwork, (laughs) then, then, you know, those are kind of, to me, table stakes. Like, everyone should have those. Those aren't anything meaningful or unique. So what are the unique values of your organization that sets you apart from another organization that does similar work to you? What is it that your donors are giving and that the staff who come to you who want to be a part of your program as opposed to working somewhere else? what are the volunteers coming to be a part of instead of working, you know, giving their time somewhere else what is it really that you mean in the world that is different and and so from there you sort of get okay here's who we are as a personality as an, an organization and you know here's what we're trying to achieve and so I, my philosophy is all about talking to people who are human, which is hopefully <laughs> most of your viewers, yeah. as if they're human. So, I really like to encourage no sort of on behalf of all of us and, and no sort of org speak, not really formal, just talk to people like they're people. And mm-hmm. even, even when granting, the people reading it are still people. So, Like, I think you really can add some human connection, emotion, vision, all of those things to make the person at the other end inspired by what the future you envision is, regardless of the ask you're making.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So, one of the things I see organizations gravitate towards, and I feel like they think it's best practice, and I actually think a lot of experts in our sector teach us as best practice, which is, you know, we're doing an appeal and, you know, your donation of X will fund A, your donation of Y will fund B. And that feels sort of in opposition to what you're talking about in terms of, and it truly is like, sometimes those are operational expenses and we just Mm -hmm. package them in a fancy way. But of course, the organization, unless they have some like fun legalese, that's what they need to use the money for. So how do we move? Do we move away from that? Do we do it differently? How do we actually take these vision-based, big, important society-changing ideas and actually build asks around them?
1: Yeah, I think there are, I think there's room for both, is mm-hmm. my answer really. But I think you're right that we have sort of overweighted our footprint on the 69 cents a day can do such and such. And you're right that donors then have an expectation. They're not reading the fine print that says excess funds over and above are needed, blah, 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 can go to whatever we want. And so we do have to be a bit careful because if you lose trust, to me, that's more important than the extra 69 cents you would have made three years from now. So I do think that we can do both. So for instance, I had a client not that long ago who I was helping to expand their giving to unrestricted funds, because they had a really successful scholarship program where they had donors funding scholarships for girls, and but they couldn't really get funding for anything other than these scholarships. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we sort of created this new way of thinking of things, which was they had it already. They just weren't leveraging it in their asks, which was their cycle of empowerment. So now we're mm. asking supporters to fund the cycle of empowerment. So they, they still offer the scholarships. People can give just straight to the scholarships. They can sponsor an individual girl. All of those things still exist. But they also now, above and beyond that, sort of higher up even on the page, is asking to fund the full experience of everything that goes into helping girls move through their education process, including all sorts of mentorship and lots of other things that go into succeeding at school. So it's not just the cost of tuition that they needed in the first place. Mm -hmm. In other examples, I think, you know, we, we, we see these sorts of things where, in legacy giving even, we've done it before where people do have a tendency to want to be able to have something tangible in legacy giving because, as you said earlier, it is so far in the future. They think like, well, what if I give you $10,000? What, what will that achieve? What will that do? And so sometimes in a legacy giving ask, we'll say, you know, $10,000 could mean X. But we do phrase it kind of vaguely by saying, mm-hmm. you know, it could mean such and such. It could fund blah, blah, blah. You know, so we keep it a little bit softer so that we're not locking ourselves into saying it's going to go to this program or that. So, you know, I think. Because we are human and humans like to have some sense of what things might mean, it is good to concretize things a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. I like the idea of packaging those operations and, mm-hmm. you know, staff time, like all these things all go into that package. So packaging the systemic work that you're doing as an organization, or as you said, sort of giving broader areas of focus that are kind of like, it mm. could, and using even just changing our language, it could fund this, it could be used in that way. I think that's little tweaks that can be really powerful. I'm curious for that organization that you mentioned, did they like, what were the results after applying something like that new strategy?
1: It's pretty new. So they just went live with their new website which features this reworked language in January. Oh, very good. Um, and their first big event facing donors will be later in April. So we'll sort of see soon. <laughs> and yeah, but so far they've gotten good response. So yeah, amazing. I think it, I think it will work well. They're very excited about, about thinking about it in this new way at least.
0: Mm. Do you test the language? Do you inv- like you know i always like to find a couple donor champions for when i'm doing new things in an organization oh my goodness i remember rebranding one time and like we involved all these specific people got their feedback so that it felt like they owned part of it so i'm curious if you do any involvement if it's valuable or um more work than than benefit um in terms of almost like market testing these things
1: It depends a little bit on the organization. I sometimes find, especially as we're talking about small organizations in this case, sometimes, and yeah, you'll have to know your own audience, your own donor audience. Sometimes your really impassioned donors have really specific ideas about Mm -hmm. how things are done and changes in terms of Even things like changes into a more personable human conversational tone for a donor who's been giving for a long time in a more professional, staid, formal tone might not like it. And so you may have challenging conversations and you may want to dial things back. So, you know, it's a struggle sometimes back and forth between like, at that point, who do you go with? Are you going to sort of work with an individual donor or a consultant or your own board or, you know, so it can get a little messy. So it sort of depends on the organization. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes we do do some testing or we run things by people, especially if we've involved people earlier on in some of the sort of visioning or values uncovery phases, then we sort of do that with the end messaging. But if it's just sort of dumping messaging on people, then it can go either way, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, which kind of leads me to asking
0: about testing and also sort of my favorite... I feel like I've, I say this phrase a lot. It's like "kill the darlings," which is a mm-hmm. phrase in writing, but it's the idea that like sometimes we need to let something go, even if it was successful. But if it's not serving us, and so you know, I'd love to understand your thoughts around like, do we test this? And even if it if we don't raise as much money as a whole, what if we raise a lot more operating and you know, less for things that we shouldn't be doing or don't actually need the money for. So, like, I'm curious around your experience with that with organizations around the change and the sort of, you know, we know change is hard. And so, how do you Mm -hmm. manage that with an organization with understanding and evaluating how it's working?
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there have been cases, especially as I think a lot about you know, the movement between donor-centricity, community-centric fundraising, and sort of the push-pull and the conversations in the sector right now. And, you know, I often think that when some people talk about donor-centricity, what we're actually finding fault with is what I think leapt into actual donor supremacy, which is an absolute problem. But I think there's some happy medium where, you know, a lot of times the people giving to a cause, they're stepping up and doing something that not everyone is. So, Mm -hmm. I don't think it is an issue to say like, hey, thanks for doing that. (laughs) Like, you're doing this thing that not everyone does. Like, I think that's great. And we value that you value a similar thing and want to make the world better in this similar way. And we have this shared vision that we're working toward, which I think to me is really what the heart of donor centricity is. It's Mm -hmm. about reflecting back that we're doing this thing together, which is different than what some donor centricity people mean, which is really just ego stroking and letting people get too much power and run organizations from the back benches. So similar things have happened there where we've really had to make some shifts in organizations and and maybe had to sacrifice some money as we're changing how we're talking mm. about things and and having hard conversations or potentially also at the major donor level, maybe losing some major donors, but for the good of the overall health of the organization in the longer term. And I think, you know, as... Things move and you have those conversations and you, like you say, you trial things and you see, like it's a, it's a balancing act. I think Mm -hmm. some of the things that I've seen, we've tweaked things as we've gone along, but we're, we're incrementally making those changes. And so sometimes the decision is like, okay, we'll roll this out slower, We'll mm-hmm. make these a little softer. And that can be in terms of how we talk about the you know, unrestricted funding, or it can be how we talk about a specific program. If you think it's going to be a hard change for your donor base, donor base that you need to introduce over a period of time, that's fine. There are ways to do that. You can slow roll a change and, and make that happen.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it, it reminds me of an organization one of our actional fundraisers worked with, where they had a hamper, like a holiday hamper appeal, and like literally, you know, they collected stuff to go to families in need, which was lovely. But none of like the organization just flowed that money through, and that was their biggest fundraiser. And so instead of, and they were really reluctant to stop that, so maybe instead add another appeal at a different part in the part of the year asking those same people to give towards operations or programming. So, you know, I I like that idea of incremental change. You don't have to like throw out the baby with the bathwater, you know, you Mm -hmm. can absolutely say, maybe we won't touch this one thing, but let's start to communicate differently. Let's start to add different ways that we built this in and, and grow it from there. I think that's really practical Because
1: sometimes we think, you know, the world will explode if we do one thing differently. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I see that a lot when I'm working with organizations who have very siloed programs between sort of, you know, annual, monthly legacy, those sorts of things. And they are really protective of any Mm. communication going out in any sort of similar timing. And time and time again, I have found you know, annual giving response rates increase if they have gotten legacy messaging either three weeks before or three weeks after an appeal went out. So, you know, I think inspiration and talking about values, talking about vision, all of these things, like it can amplify response. And so a lot of times what we are so strongly protecting actually doesn't need that ferocity. We can think about things in different ways. And like you say, just test, try, try a little segment, try a little one-time thing, see how it goes. And, you know, if the world doesn't explode, then try a little bit more.
0: I love that. Thank you so much. This is such a great conversation. And I feel like that just, you know, wraps it up perfectly in terms of one thing you said at the beginning, which is kind of like we created this problem for ourselves. And so now it's on us to, to start to change it and, and play, experiment, and do things a little differently. I think people will be pleasantly surprised by the outcome. Amy, where can our listeners connect with you?
1: If you go to refocusfundraising.com, you'll find my contact info there, as well as our email community newsletter sign up. I'm also on LinkedIn, very findable, and I'm on Twitter at A underscore Lindenberger. And you find me often at conferences, speaking and presenting for places like AFP, CAGP. And of course, I welcome speaking at your local chapter or your organization. So especially with virtual sessions, you can just Mm. reach out to me and I'm happy to do that too.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for having this conversation, for sharing your experience. I know this is what organizations need to hear right now. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. And of course, to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll see you next time. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.